Welcome to the Foo Bar here on Limerick City Community Radio 99.9 FM across Limerick City and County. My name is Shawnee Ryan and this show is all about technology, different things that are happening in the world of technology or just anything technology related. And if you have any topics you want us to cover, or any products you're interested in or even have any problems you're having in uh, tech at th- these days, I'd be delighted to get an email from you, email info at lccr.ie. Uh, hopefully we can cover the topic here and maybe if you have a problem we can maybe find an answer to any of your issues and the Pooh Bar is sponsored by the Limerick Post newspaper where you can get all of the latest local news on limerickpost.ie and don't forget you can always subscribe to different podcasts and we're delighted actually here on the Pooh Bar that we are part of the podcast team on the Limerick Post uh, this show goes out as part of the Tech Post podcast as well so if you ever miss it here on a Sunday make sure you subscribe to the Limerick Post podcast go into your podcasting app wherever you get your podcasts uh, whether it's Cast, Acast, uh, Overcast, or just the Apple Podcast app or Google Podcast, whatever one you use, go in and subscribe to the Limerick Post. There's some great different podcasts that come out regularly. Okay, so I'd like to welcome back to the show Una McCutcheon from uh, .ie, who are the overseers of the .ie domain names in Ireland, and the website is weare.ie. So, Una, before we go and look at the half-year report for 2021 that was uh, released recently, uh, can you just give the listeners a brief reminder about uh, .ie and your role with the .ie domains? Yeah, uh, sure. And uh, thank you very much for inviting me back, Shoni. It's great to be here again. As you said, um, we are the company that manages the .ie namespace for, for Ireland. So that means we manage the full database and the whole technology that sits behind that, the tech infrastructure, if you like. And that keeps websites um, available and accessible and active uh, for, for the owners. Um, we have 325,000 domain names, um, so, which is quite a, a good number. And we'll talk in a little while about uh, the amount of growth that occurred during uh, the COVID period. And my own role is Corporate Communications Manager with .ie. Okay, great. Thanks thanks very much, Una, for that. Um, now, just in terms of .ie domain names, people who might be familiar with domain names and uh, getting websites, so a domain name is something that leads to a website. So obviously with your own one, it would be uh, uh, weare.ie. So people would go to their browser and they type in www.weare.ie. So that's the domain name. And people will always ask things like, what's the benefit of having a .ie over a .com or a .net or anything? What what would be like the, the selling point really of the .ies for Irish people? So .ie is the, is the country code for Ireland, like, like we just said. And it shows a business in particular that they're serving the Irish market. So it's very identifiable in that sense. Um, .ie also performs better in Google search it'll rank higher so that if you have a business, for example, and let's say you're a shoe shop on Henry Street, so yours will come up highest in in search as opposed to maybe an international uh, website. So that's a really positive um, thing for a business owner. It's also very trusted. Anybody who applies for a .ie domain has to prove their identity before they get the domain. Okay. Uh, now, not every country does that. 
However, we do see that the trend is moving much more towards identif identification, um, not only for domains, but also for social channels. You've probably seen some of the chat about that recently. Yeah. So we've always had that requirement. Um, in the past, sometimes people said, why do we have to bother with that? And I don't have to do anything if I do, if I, if I um, get a .com. But really, we stuck close to our principles and we can now see the pendulum coming back in favour of uh, proof of identity. Another aspect I think that's important is that your consumers uh, trust a .ie website over a .com and we've conducted research in that regard. So it's proper, you know, properly um, evaluated research and it shows that 75% of consumers trust a .ie over a .com. So that yeah. would be another very good reason. I, th I think you've really hit the nail on the head there with that word trust. And, yeah. and especially on the internet nowadays, when people are doing more and more e-commerce, that trust has to be there it has to, and it has to be earned and has to be uh, has to be shown. And I suppose from what you're saying there, that if a business has or a person has a .ie, then there is a real identifiable business or person behind that, not just a, a scammer kind of thing like that could that could register anything in any other country yeah you're you're you're, you're totally right there and i think you know, we all have seen an increase in scams whether they're on the phone or or um online in recent times with a lot of public health public um campaigns to warn consumers to be very very careful about what they're doing and you could definitely see that consumers are a lot more cautious um and a lot more careful about checking out the credentials on a website and checking out who's behind it and so on. Yeah. But, you know, with the data you can rest assured that we know who owns that website. Right. And if brilliant. anything goes wrong, you know, we, we have somebody that we can contact. Exactly. And if it that. gets to the stage of, you know, let's say crime or fraud or whatever, that's a matter for the police, obviously, not for us. But yeah, but at, at least at, at, at the front level, when somebody goes to a website, it means that before they've even gotten that website up and running for a .ie, there, it, there has been checks done to make sure this is not just, not just a random person sitting in a bedroom someplace in the middle of Asia or Africa or something <laughs> like that and, and just deciding they're going to register something and try and scam people that you have actually verified and, and I, the identity of that person or business. Yeah. Mm. Exactly. So, so how easy how easy is it for like if if anybody listening now says in the morning, okay, like verifying identity, and they're wondering like how far they have to go with that. If anybody listening wants to register a .ie domain and set up a blog or a web shop or something, and uh, in the morning, um, like how easy is it for them to go and do that? Well, we've been investing a lot of time, effort, and energy in uh, streamlining our processes uh, over the last number of years. And we have invested as well in, in technology to help m move that along and to make it make it better. I suppose maybe sometimes it's best to look at the statistics. So okay. we gather data all the time. 63% of .ie domains are registered within one business hour. Oh. So that's pretty quick. That is, that is, yeah. Yeah. And uh, if you want to take it, 79% are done within one business day. So... We say it's fast and easy to get um, a, a .ie domain, and then of course you, you build your website on the back of that, and you or your blog or whatever it is you decide to do. Another change that we've implemented uh, in recent times as well is that if you already have a .ie domain, 
You don't need to reprove your identity. You don't need to resupply your identity documents. Okay. And so that means you go straight to the database without any delay. It's instantaneous. So if, if you're registering your second .ie, it's just straight through? Straight yeah. through. Yeah. No, no delay. Yeah. Yeah. So for, for a business to register, am I right in saying that it's just if they have a, a company name or a, a registered business uh, number, um, that they can just put that in and that's part of their validation that if they have a CRO number, they're straight in? That's it, exactly. We have an automatic lookup to the CRO so we can validate that it's the correct number, etc. Okay. So, yeah, that's for a business. And then for an individual, it might be a passport, you know, um, other forms of, of identity. Uh, and they yeah. just need that. That's just really a photo of their passport or ID. ID it's a scan, yeah. yeah. All yeah. right. So that um, makes it very easy for people to do that. Like everybody could just take a photo of their driving license or passport with their phone and just submit that with the application. Yeah. It's basically so, snap and send, yeah. Yeah, so that makes it really, really easy. So anybody can get, like, the, there is no barrier to entry, really, on this. No, there isn't. I mean, it's it's fast, it's streamlined, it's easy, it's straightforward. So, yeah, we're, we're delighted now with the work that we've done in terms of the process improvement and the technical um, underpinning of that that, made, that allowed that to happen. Okay. Right. So let's just have a quick review of, of 2020. Like uh, 2020 was a, a year like no other. Um, and um, I think uh, at, at the peak lockdown in May last year, your, your numbers were kind of like you were really seeing big growth because businesses were really pushing forward to get online and start selling. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Um, COVID was a massive accelerant uh, for, for us. Um, we saw a lot of businesses, especially SMEs, small to medium-sized enterprises, um, either going online for the first time or deciding they were going to spend time revamping their existing site that might not have been up to scratch. We saw a lot of activity around businesses doing click and collect via their website. Um, and then we also saw full e-commerce as well. So it, it was the whole full range. And, you know, we really, uh, I think one of the key points as well, people might be familiar with the trading online voucher, which yeah. is provided by the um, local enterprise offices. And in 2020, they had over 13,000, they gave out over 13,000 trading online vouchers and they made the rules for application much easier and removed quite a lot of barriers. So that was, you know, the government recognising that they had to jump in and help small businesses really, really quickly. Yeah. So, yes, uh, the peak lockdown in May, if, if we all remember back to last year, at that point we were closed for everybody's working from home for about six weeks at that point. Mm -hmm. And after the, I suppose, the initial shock of the first few weeks at home and the uncertainty of what was going to happen, there was a realisation that this uh, COVID pandemic was not going to get solved in three weeks, like we thought maybe at the very beginning. So people began to plan and say, well, hold on a second, you know, who knows how long this is going to go on. I have to, so my business has to survive. And the the, the way to survive is um, to, to get online and to get a website. Yeah. And we saw the, a similar uh, peak in November, sorry, December 2020 and January 21, if you remember, that was also a very tight lockdown period. Yeah. Um, so really, the domain registrations have kind of um, mirrored 
the peaks and troughs of the lockdown. All right. So I suppose people were kind of this this accelerated a lot of people's plans where before they might have been busy with their physical shop and everything. And then because yeah. they were stuck at home um, and and didn't have custom coming through their door, it gave people a lot of time that they previously wouldn't have had to go and yeah. actually look at these things. So like I've, I've read some reports whereby like worldwide that the, the the whole lockdown and the COVID uh, situation has kind of accelerated e-commerce by seven to eight years. That where where it has it has driven people forward so fast that the amount of online shopping um, and, and like all you have to do is look at the amount of vans doing deliveries to different houses now and everything that it really has accelerated. That would you would you think that's about accurate with the amount of years that we've accelerated our e-commerce situation? Yeah, I I've read similar reports, Johnny, and I would agree with it one hundred percent. And I think that COVID was the kind of tipping point it was the moment that businesses realized online is absolutely critical and there's no going back yeah and that you know things that they put on the long finger for various reasons now had to be top uh, priority mm-hmm. and um what, what is interesting is that ireland and portugal had the fastest the highest uh, growth rates across the eu um during covid so .pt is the domain for Portugal, .e for Ireland, obviously, and each pretty much 10% growth in 2020, wow. net growth, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I wonder, so, I wonder what, what's, what's, the, what's the demographic or what is it about Portugal and Ireland that had us so high in, in growth? Yeah, uh, yeah um, I I can't answer that yeah, one. I can, it's, uh, that's a strange one. I think I'll have to do a bit of reading on that later on now and find yeah. out. Uh, what's have we something in common with the Portuguese? <laughs> yeah. All right. Okay. So let's get into the first half of twenty twenty one, which was the report that came out. So I just want to have a look um, at the 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 growth rate um, of new registrations. Uh, so there was like the, it it the database the dot ie database is growing all the time, and. Um, the the amount of new registrations is they uh, peaked in May, they peaked in December and in January of of 2021, um, and we know that that's um, we know that that's really down to the lockdowns and the amount of people driving forward. Um, is there any other aspects to that, or is there anything in terms of the new versus the net? I know that the net is slightly down um, on the previous year. Um, and is there is there any kind of uh, a contributing factors to that? To that? Yeah, well, I, I just maybe for your listeners to give it a little bit of context, and I don't okay. want to go into too many numbers now because I know a lot of people don't like numbers. But in 2020, we had a 30 percent increase in new .ie registrations, That's so that massive. was massive. That's it was huge. our biggest biggest year ever. Yeah. So again, for your listeners. We, that's new growth. Then net growth is obviously some people don't renew their domains for okay. whatever reason. And I'll talk about that in a second. Yeah. So that's what um, has our net growth. Um, so because 2020 was an exceptional year of growth, obviously you're going to see a certain number of those domains not getting renewed because domains have to be renewed every year. So that might be because some of the reasons that we've identified is somebody maybe had a really good idea about a business um, and maybe it stalled due to COVID. 
We also saw some examples of people who said, oh, I set up a little side business working from home and it just didn't take off the ground yeah. maybe as, as well as they had hoped. Every year we have people who don't renew their domains. That's totally normal. Mm. But it was it was just in the context of the really exceptional growth in 2020 that it was that slightly higher um, in the first half of this year. Well, actually, I think... I, I, my mind has just gone back to a previous uh, when you were on there probably about two or three years talking with me on the show as well um, and I think you had relaxed the rules around personal names or something there was something happened and it and it there was a bit of a skew again in the 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 number of registrations because there was a boost because of it. I suppose if there is something like COVID that skews the number new number of registrations and there's an exceptional jump of 30% then that is going to contribute to the following year. It's very hard to keep a 30% growth again in normal times. It is yeah. indeed. Yeah, no, it is indeed. Yeah, you're absolutely right there. All right. Okay. Um, but uh, one of the other things that uh, that caught my eye in the growth rate is um, the inside in the report, it says that the, the number of IEs and the database has grown uh, 49% on the same period five years ago. Yes. So like that, that's like a 50% increase um, on the nut figure fi from five years ago. That's quite dramatic. Yeah, it so, is dramatic. And yeah. I suppose in a way you'd say what business couldn't have a website now? There's, there's really Correct. no business sector or area mm. that, that, that can say, oh, a, a website isn't needed in my business. And we yeah. did find that from our research in previous years, especially amongst professional services companies, they were going, oh, look, you know, I'm, I'm a solicitor, I'm an accountant, I don't have any need for a website. But that's all changed now because the first place that a consumer goes to to look for information about any uh, service provider, shop, retailer, whatever it happens to be, is online. Now, they might very well walk into the shop to buy the product, but they want to know that it's they want to check it out, check the price, check the, you know, product um, information online first. Um, so that's kind of on the retail side. And then on the professional services side, they're really looking for validation that, um, you know, Joe Blog's solicitor is who he says he is or yeah. she is, that they have, you know, their qualifications, maybe case studies, whatever it might be, or testimonials, that type of thing. Yeah. Um, so... I suppose that really would be a contributory factor behind the almost fifty percent growth in in five years. Okay, yeah, but I I do know I've 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 anecdotally you know, different people that I know friends of mine who would say that when they're going online and looking for stuff, even if they're going into the shop to buy it, they do like sitting at home on their tablet while in the evening or something and browsing the catalogue. They might not mm -hmm. actually make the purchase online, but they'll actually go through it and then go into the shop afterwards to buy yeah. maybe to try it on if it's clothes or if it's jewellery or something like that. But uh, yeah. so you're right. And, and people are people want to go and they want to see, even if it's just a gallery of stuff, of pictures yeah. of, of previous work, if it's construction, they want mm -hmm. to look and see what have they done before. So you're right, there is no business yeah. that can be without a website these days. Yeah, and, and honestly, I think as well that COVID has had some impact um, there as well. I know for my own part, I had an event to go to, um, a virtual event that, I, that was being filmed, so I had to look right, and I needed a new dress. So I was online figuring out, found exactly what I wanted, 
rang the shop, have you got that in stock in this size on that size? Okay, I'll be up. It took me 10 minutes to get in and out of Dundrum Shopping Centre because I had done all my research. And that meant that I encountered fewer people. Yeah. I was in the place for a lot less time. Um, I was going with a very specific uh, mission in mind. I wasn't browsing. And, um, you know, it was very, very convenient for me now, I must say. And I think yeah. a lot of people would experience the same thing. Yeah, that's exactly it now. That, that, that's the way, like, there, there is no business. There's no, nothing that can't be done now that they have to have the website there. They have to, people, it's, it's endemic. And especially in the, in the younger generation as well, they expect to be able to find that information online. They expect people yeah. to see it and do their research before they get into it. Um, so speaking just a bit of, of research, there's some great statistics on your analysis of the .ie ecosystem on the report. And, um, there's, some really, really amazing bits coming out in terms of the keywords that are being used to register domains. Um, even, even just the, the market share of hosted domains in Ireland that like their .ie domains make up more than 50% of the websites in Ireland. Uh, That's right. Yeah. yeah. So that, that is quite significant. Yeah. We're continuing to take ground from .com slowly but surely year by year um, as, as consumers and businesses recognize the value of having a .ie versus .com. And of course, as you already know, Tony, like yeah. a lot of the, the .com names are not available. You yes. know? Yeah. So that's, that's another factor. Um, so yes, it, we're, we're delighted with that and we, we're very, very happy with that. Um, yeah, so yeah, there were quite a few um, interesting points around the keywords, you know, the types of names that are used or types of words that are used within the domain name. And we had quite a few that were pandemic related. And we had quite a few that were health keywords like doctor, pharmacy, pharmacist, that type of thing. And interestingly, um, the outdoor summer keywords, because of course that's what it was all about. We couldn't go into a cafe or restaurant or whatever. So it was things like <laughs> barbecue, pool, um, bicycle, tent, all these kinds of words, because that reflected what people were doing. We've seen them out in the countryside, walking, walking, you know, trying yeah. to get outdoors, getting fitter and all of that. So for the first half of this year, the health keywords went up. And the outdoor summer keywords went up, but the, the pandemic keywords went down because they had absolutely bloomed in 2020. Oh, so, okay. of course, we're talking about now is January to June 21. Yeah. So, so that really shows that uh, domain names and the words that are used within them are very reflective of what's happening in society at that time. All right. Okay. So people yeah. would be maybe starting a new business or getting a new area that they're getting into, or even just a blog about what they've done, to, to what they're going to do, uh, the, the way their their lifestyle has changed. Now they're yes. registering those domains um, and, and with those domain name, the names in it. And obviously having the name of like the, the kind of the subject will probably help with SEO rankings as well, having your subject in your domain. Yes, absolutely. Mm. All right. Okay. Um, I'm trying to see now, is there any other areas um, 
that uh, in terms of like security, one of the things I noticed there about that the the registry lock, right? Um, now, yes. th- th- this might be a small bit more technical for some of the listeners, but in light of some of the things, and you touched on it earlier on, some of the issues that are there in security um, and recent ransomware attacks on different companies, uh, like what what can what can the registry what can the .ie registry offer uh, customers to help and secure their domains? So yeah, one of the things we can do is what you what you refer to there is registry lock and. What it is, is a manual system for um, allowing, uh, uh, for, for preventing unauthorized changes. So okay. it means that only one person in the business has the authority to make the decision, make changes um, at, at the domain level now. That doesn't, yeah. you could make changes on the website content. Yeah. But um, it's to minimize the, the risk of unwanted changes or terminations or transfer of the domain to another person. So it's, it's at that level that the security, we'd like to see that as being way higher. I think it's a pity, especially with the big businesses, that they don't have more appreciation of the risk their business faces unless they um, use registry lock. So you could have like, um, let's say a young intern and somehow they go in and do something that they're not supposed to do or a bad actor and and they do it um, either inadvertently or on purpose. But the the business actually has the ability to prevent that from happening by using registry lock. And it's a real shame that they that more companies aren't aware of it uh, and that they don't do it, to be honest with you. All right. OK, so effectively, you're locking down the domain into its current settings. And, yeah. and meaning that nobody can make an unauthorized change or um, have it have it stolen, effectively transferred to somebody, some other owner. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah. So yeah, that actually, I can see how that should that should be something that a lot more businesses actually take on board. Yeah. Because uh, it, it's if you if you set up your entire business around your website and your online shopping and everything, so like a lot of companies out there their website generates a significant amount of their annual revenue. So without it, um, you, you wouldn't you wouldn't leave your front doors or your shop open and uh, well, that's the, the stock really, room open. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a really excellent analogy because that's kind of what we say as well. Mm. You know, would you leave the key in your front door and let anybody in? No, you wouldn't. But, you know, and, and really we'd like to um, encourage more businesses to, to avail of that. Well, on the other side of it, though, what we have seen over the years is um, a great increase in the use of uh, security certificates. And these are called, these are sometimes called SSL certs. People with businesses would be very familiar with them. And what it does is it adds an extra layer of security to show that uh, they're on an authentic, uh, secure website. And you, you'll see it, you know, when, when you have a domain in the, in the search bar it's yeah. http and if it's a secure website it has s and what coming back to what we were talking about consumers earlier being a lot more savvy i think now they are looking for websites with security yeah. certs built in because if you don't have it it comes pops up with an error message saying this site is not secure, secure yeah 
proceed or don't proceed well, the vast majority of people are going to say, hmm, I won't proceed with this website. Thank you very yeah, much. Yeah, they don't want to be putting in their, their credit card information or something like that. So exactly. if they have the SSL cert, they'll get that little padlock um, up in the, the top uh, of their browser as well. Um, yeah. So you're seeing the good growth in that, a good uptake in that? Yeah, we, we, we saw a 20% growth in that in, in the last six months. So that shows that businesses are responding and, yeah. and are more aware of it. Yeah, you know, and again, see. again, having the having the SSL search on your website, once again, it'll increase your rankings in the SEO as well, because I think Google uh, are really focused on the secure websites now of, of giving them better ranking if they have an SSL cert. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, so, yeah, I think a lot of the impetus came from Google about about 18 months ago. They really started to um, make that change where you appeared higher in ranking if you had the security cert. Yeah. Um, but now I think businesses have got the message and, and more and more of them have it. All right, um, okay. So let's, let's just have a quick look at some of the, the growth regions in Ireland in um, the first half of 2021. So there are a number of areas that were actually like really came up in the rankings um, that were, uh, I suppose, surprising for me to look at. Uh, when I see the, the growth rate in, um, say, like 17% in Antrim, 18% um, growth rate in Kerry and Leash and a 23% growth rate in Longford. Uh, yes. that, that's amazing growth rates in, in different areas around the country. So it really it, is. Uh, and I think, again, it comes back to what we were talking about earlier, which is, you know, that people um, are trying out new things, trying out new projects, setting up new businesses. And, and really a domain, if you register a domain, is kind of a forward indicator of economic growth because mm. that mostly that's what people, what, what people do it for. And... We also saw with COVID that there was a mass exodus from the cities as well. A lot of people relocated to different counties and towns and villages around Ireland. They, they saw that um, geography was no barrier to, to working remotely um, as long as you had good internet connection. So people have really reimagined, I think, a lot of the way they're going to live and how they're going to work and so that would account for some of the domain increases. That makes a lot of sense, actually, yeah, that you would have as people go to different areas and, and yeah. possibly even set up something locally there. And so if somebody had relocated and then they might set up a local coffee shop or something like that in, yeah. in the area as well. Yeah. Yeah. So that makes a lot of sense, actually. I hadn't thought of it like that. Um, so many businesses as well pivoted to producing uh, pandemic related goods. So they, they had these, there was this one guy who was doing these desks that you could quickly assemble, you know, for like a hundred quid or something oh, like I that. Oh, I remember seeing that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, he had been in some completely different business beforehand. Mm. And he said, my business is gone. You know, yeah. what am I going to do? I have this skill. So he gets a new domain. He's living in Mayo, let's say, and he registers that new domain. Um, okay. And that that was sort of driving some of the numbers. But it was interesting to see that Limerick was up by almost 6% as well. 
Yeah, well, I'm looking at it and saying overall, we're nearly at 3% of, of the overall database, the overall uh, share of it. And I was thinking to myself, considering Limerick can do back-to-back wing wins in the hurling in the <laughs> All-Ireland, we really should be a lot higher than 3%. So I've, this is my call out to Limerick people. Come on, get your .ie domains and get us up there along with the hurlers. Yeah, <laughs> 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 I'll give the old plug for the Limerick hurlers there. Um, oh, so. you're dead right. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, hopefully that might produce a, a boost in the uh, hurling related domains around Limerick anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, I suppose a good that it is a good growth rate, I suppose 6% in Limerick. Uh, but we'd like to push that a bit higher anyway. So, oh, yeah, no doubt. When we're chatting again yeah. after the next report, we'll be interested to see how much, how much, <laughs> yeah. Again. All right. Um, okay. I think we just a small bit more time just to, uh, you wanted to talk about the Digital Town Awards uh, yeah, in 2021. Um, I just thought that when I was on chatting about the stats that, that mm. your listeners might be interested in the .ie Digital Town Awards. And I suppose a key part of our work is to enable and empower people and businesses and communities across Ireland to thrive online. And we've been doing various digital projects, um, especially for SMEs over the past number of years. And we, we sat down and, and really reevaluated and reimagined this work and figured out how are we to reach all the communities, especially in the regions and in rural areas, and came up with the concept of the .ie Digital Town Awards. And this really is an opportunity to shine a light on the digital achievements of local towns and villages and also to foster digital adoption. So you might say, well, what kind of projects can enter? So it will be digital projects in like tourism, in health, um, uh, in social enterprise, culture and the arts, um, community, business, the full range of what happens in any town. Okay. And as long as the project has a digital element, you know, then, then it would be eligible. So the nice thing is that the prize fund uh, is 100,000 euros. So it's pretty Wonderful. chunky prizes. Yeah. And there are 13 categories. Um, so the awards took place for the first time in 2020, 2021, I beg your pardon. Mm-hmm. Um, and we will be running these awards over the coming years. So if your listeners are interested, they can go to our website, we are .ie, which is lots more information. And we will be um, announcing the awards for 2022 uh, early in the new year. And okay, people yeah, can I actually can see it on the website there, actually up in the top menu, you see digital town, uh, .ie, digital town is right there in the menu. So all the yeah. information about the digital town is there. Uh, yeah. And looking at the, I'm looking at the winners actually now for 2021. So, um, Dingle was a uh, Dingle Peninsula was crowned the overall winner in 2021. The overall winner, that's right. Yeah, yeah. That's and mm. yeah, I mean they, there were some lovely, lovely projects. You know, there was one from Aramore Island where they were using Internet of Things as an assisted uh, as a device for assisted living oh, wow. for people, especially elderly um, people. You know, so for example, if 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 um, a door opens or they knock over the kettle, the, the IoT will pick that up and it'll send out an alert to carers or family members uh, to 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 be able to have, to go around to the house and help them. Oh, so that that's like one, an amazing project. Absolutely yeah. brilliant. And there's another one which was near enough to your own 
uh, County of Limerick, which was a project um, in Clare uh, for, for cycling. And what they did was they have a, had a sensor device at the bottom of the hill. I think it was that corkscrew hill, if I'm not wrong. Okay. <clears throat> and you can put in all your info, your credentials at the bottom of the hill. And when you cycle through to the other end, it, you scan your phone again. And it says it took you 30 minutes to cycle it. This was the gradient. Um, this was the fastest person who cycled this route today. You're wow. number 10 out of all the people who visited. And then you could take snapshots. Um, you know, it's just brilliant. Um, apparently, they were inspired by a similar thing that they had seen in the Alps. And a, a tourism group came together and created this project. And it's got great traction. That's amazing. Oh, I really need to go through all these now and have a look at that because uh, I didn't even realize there was like it's a, that's a really broad scope of of um, of types of cases and entries into this and what the like I know you said as long as there's a digital um, aspect to it, but sometimes people can think a digital aspect means a website or something. But this sounds like it's it's so broad that that's amazing. I really I, I definitely need to go reading about this now and I'll encourage other people as well. Definitely listeners go on to we are dot ie and have a look at that and look at the different projects there that's something for me for the afternoon now to spend my time on yeah we we thought that uh, people would be interested to get like a little summary of what the project was mm. because it can be hard to describe but we had a few others then in areas like a town came together and they created a, like a digital street if you like a marketplace for all the local businesses to quickly get them up online on one town platform as such um, so it, it really covered a very extensive range and we want to keep that range very wide. And so it's a great opportunity that it is working on a project of that nature to enter next year. And mm. um, yeah. Yeah, so, brilliant. Okay. So so the rewards will definitely be there in 2022 again anyway. Yeah. So oh, definitely. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> We're working brilliant. on them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. That's brilliant. Um, Una, thank you so much for spending the time with me here today and having a chat and giving me the update on everything from uh, so far in 2021 and I'm sure we'll definitely get you back on again for another chat in the future thanks a million Tony delighted to be here all right okay thanks Una bye thanks bye bye okay and I'm joined again by Dave O'Neill Dave welcome back how are you doing I'm good how are you I'm absolutely brilliant. Let's go on to CSAM. So we kind of briefly touched on it the last show and we talked about the um, the Apple had announced that they were bringing in uh, this uh, photo scanning system to protect against sexual abuse material. Correct. That's it. Yes. There's a couple of areas in this, Dave, and I'm going to take this um i would actually recommend people go to there's a, a brilliant podcast on the apple insider uh, channel anybody who's into podcasts they probably heard me talking about apple insider before but podcast number 368 on this they had a um a special guest on for that uh jason Aiton, and uh, i would recommend if you want full details on this to actually go and uh listen to that podcast because uh they really go into details in this. Uh, so some of, the, some of the things we're going to talk about here and some of the points I'm going to make, I got directly from them anyway, so I'm going to credit them on that anyway. But the 
Okay, the CSAM that we're talking about is an acronym for child sexual abuse material. All right. And Apple had proposed to bring in a number of measures, some that are actually there already. Okay. So mm-hmm. in in the way they're they were talking about it, the first one that they were going to bring it into Siri and search. So if you searched for something online um, or asked Siri to look up for something and it gave you some um, material that was sensitive, that they would alert you and give you a warning that this may contain sensitive information and also give you links to get help if you're a victim of this or if you need help on it. Right. So Google do this already anyway, that if you search for something, they will give you links uh, for more information and help about this. And they will warn you about the material. OK, I haven't right. come across that myself, but uh, obviously well, that's a good thing. Right. Most of us in our normal lives would not come across this because we don't go looking for this. So that's you're true. talking about um Normally, somebody say if they're a researcher and they're writing a topic about it or if they're a journalist and they want to get more information about what happens and get the process down, they're the people who would see it. Right. Yeah. Uh, And obviously the people who are up to no Mm -hmm. good as well. Okay, But um, you like there, there could be there could be some kids out there who might be a victim of this and they might go into Google and say, what do I do about this kind of imagery? And it would give you links to to um, helplines, etc., to ring about this. So that was what they were uh, proposing to bring into Siri and search. So that's the first part of it. And I think we can all agree that's fine. Yeah. Right. So the second part was, and this is where it's going to be on device machine learning, was that If a minor, somebody who's linked to your account, uh, like uh, one of your children in your family, if they sent or received what was considered explicit material, a true iMessage, then it would alert the adult linked to that account, the guardian, the parent. Okay. And that involves on-device machine learning, which is looking at the content of the image and determining what it thinks is the subject matter in the image. Okay. And alerting if it thinks this might be wrong. Okay. And there, I think the the age limit they were proposing on this was anybody under 13, which I I think I I would agree that you should be able to set that limit because if you've got someone who's 13, or 14, there's, you're, you still want protection on them. So I don't want to know that a child at 13 receives an explicit uh, image and a parent gets alerted and on the 14th birthday, nobody gets any notice of it. So I think that should be a limit that certain people should be able to put, the guardians should be able to put that on because different kids mature at different rates. Absolutely, 100%. And again, it's illegal. Even even a 14-year-old is still a minor. Correct, correct. Yeah. So I think that age limit is something that should be decided by the adult. Um, but that effectively, again, it's just on device, looking at what you receive in iMessage and 
alerting the guardian if it thinks it could be something wrong. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that because most people, like if you have uh, parental controls on, on your children's phone, then you can decide what apps they can run. You can decide what contacts are in their um, their contacts list, as in who they can uh, message or phone. Uh, you can decide what web pages they go to. And if somebody sent them something that they shouldn't get, or if the child themselves took a photo and tried to send it, you should be able to get alerted about that as well. I agree. Yes. Uh, the guardian should be anyway. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. And that information, that um, that notification does not go near Apple, doesn't go near any third parties. It only goes to the guardian of the account. Okay. okay. Right, so that was step two. Then you've got step three, which is the one that got the entire world up in arms. And this is where they were saying that they were going to turn on the CSAM scanning uh, across your photos if they were going to iCloud. All right. Yeah. The impression I got, though, was that they were going to scan the um, your photo library regardless, that it was going to do it on device. And then if there was any kind of detection on there, it was going to send an alert to the authorities, including Apple. No. That, that's not correct, you see, and that's and where... I think, yeah, and I think the media kind of twisted yes. it that way, or at least maybe that's how they understood it. I, I don't know, but that's how it was reported initially anyway. Correct, right. So I've done a lot of reading on it, and again, I'm going to refer back to that podcast from Apple Insider that uh, they did a great coverage on it, and they really explained what was going to happen. So the main thing out of it is, if you don't have iCloud photos turned on as in like copies of your photos from your phone uploaded to iCloud to a backup then nothing happens Mm. absolutely nothing there is no hashing of your photos no analysis of your photos no nothing until you turn on uh, turn on iCloud storage of your photos okay that's fair right so all the data on your phone is still yours still your own private Mm. Um, material. So that's the first part of it. Uh, the thing is that if you do turn on iCloud storage, then the the CSAM uh, images, right? So the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, which is NICMAC, uh, they have a database of known images that like if somebody was prosecuted and they had a number of uh, different images that they got across the internet and this was uh, on their devices that were seized and confiscated, they add that information to their database. And they provide a hashed version of that database. And for anybody who's wondering what does the hashed version mean, it means that they analyze the photo and they come up with a kind of a cryptographic key uh, of numbers and letters that identifies that photo in text format. And they give out a database of their known bad images. And you can then compare what you have against that database. Okay. First thing is, Facebook and Google have been doing this for over 10 years. And most companies that allow you upload to 
any kind of cloud storage for backing up your photos and everything. Most places, American-based, uh, are using this database already and have been for a long, long time. Um, Apple have been using this database, but not to scan your photos up to now, just to scan if you saved normal files into your iCloud file storage. I okay. see. Now, in uh, say the last uh, year, how many times would you say Apple has alerted a possibility of an issue with a CSAM um, imaged to NICMEC? Give a guess. I, I couldn't tell you. Right. A couple of hundred. Really? Yeah. How many I would have thought year, a lot more. Yeah, okay. Right. How many a year does Facebook alert? I'm gonna I'm gonna guess that it's a hell of a lot more. Over twenty million. Right. Right. So here's something that ha- is currently happening with all these other companies. Mm. And nobody says a word about it. Because in my view, I think it's a great thing. Right? If some if the companies are out there and they're scanning and alerting of these potential issues with child sexual abuse material. What's wrong with that? The only people who could be against that are the people who are doing something wrong. Right. Well, initially when it was reported, we're going back to the way the media kind of spun it um, at the beginning. Um, A lot of people were just concerned about their own privacy. So like, it's not that they, they were against the principle of, you know, scanning Mm -hmm. against um, child porn or anything like that. It's just that they didn't want their own personal stuff to get mistakenly flagged and then someone in Apple is examining it and looking through their photos all of a sudden. And that's what they were concerned about. Yeah. Well, if you don't want that, then don't turn on iCloud storage. But if you want to use their photo storage system in the cloud, you have to allow that to happen. The same way as Facebook and Google have been doing it all along. Yeah. Now, and, and, I think, and this is a, and this is the thing, right? Yeah. It, it's a term of service now at this point. So yes. you have to agree to the terms of service before you sign up and use said service. So if you yeah. don't agree with it, um, then just as you said, turn it off. Yeah. But um, again, the concern was also that they were going to do it on device, in, even if iCloud wasn't uh, a factor. And since that's not happening, then yeah. you know. Right. And how it was going to happen was then because there's hashes in a database, what they're doing is they're comparing the hash in the database against the hash of the image that they check. And they're saying the possibility of a fake positive is pretty much one in a trillion per year. Okay. Right. Which is pretty much negligible. Right. And what would happen if if they found one image that was wrong, it would do nothing. It has to find a collection of images. I see. All right. So they don't say what the threshold is, and I can I can understand why they won't set the threshold because then people know how many you can store. Yeah, but exactly. Yeah. If a number of images are found, then what happens is someone in Apple gets alerted. Right. And that person can then review it. They have to manually review it. They don't get to see the full photo. They get to analyze a part of the photo to see if this is something worth 
looking into or is it a false positive and if it is something that passes their checks they then um, pass that information on to NICMEC who then can talk to the authorities if they want to okay so that was I that's mean, the process it, it sounds it sounds fairly straightforward when you put it that way yeah it is and regardless of what it is even if people are worried about their privacy i don't get why people were going mad on this because this is about child safety this is about finding out if someone has this bad material a collection of this bad material so some of the some of the media places picked up on it and said oh if you take a photo of your kid in the bat this is going to get flagged it can't because the photo of the kid in your bat is not in the CSAM database. Correct. It's it's unique. It's it's yeah. new, right? So yeah. it's not looking for, it's not analyzing the content and going, oh, this looks like sexual material. The only time that it, that, that happens is in the second case I talked about earlier on, where um, it scans the iMessages, the um, photos received by a minor, if you have it enabled. And again, you have the decision to enable that or not to enable it if you want to. Uh, uh, I'll tell so you, I'd like enable it. Yeah, yeah and that's, sure. And that's on-device processing, so it doesn't get handled at Apple servers. It doesn't send them any information. But this one here, all it does is it compares it to the known last issue of the database. So the database can't contain your new one where you take the photo of the kids at the beach. It, it won't have that in it. So it's not going to alert about that because it's only if there's exact matches. Mm. All right. And I think you have to remember as well that when you compare the likes of Facebook, um, uh, even Microsoft, Google, mm. um, anyone like that, they have, uh, no, there's a benefit, benefit to them being able to kind of, you know, peek at your data and stuff like that because they need to use it. That's how they make their money. Yeah. Apple doesn't make their money by, you know, diving into your personal stuff. No. Um, they've made a point of that. And we know from their business model that they don't dabble in that kind of stuff. They don't want your data so much. They don't want to, they don't want to sell it. They, they do want statistics, of course. They want to know, like, how many uh, phone calls have been made on the iPhone and stuff like that. They love reporting on these statistics at their yeah. events, saying that they're over, like, 10 trillion phone calls were made and and the call quality was excellent and stuff like that. But they don't collect personal data because that's of absolutely no use to them. Whereas with Facebook and Google and Microsoft and all those, it mm. does have a use for them. Yeah, exactly. Um, but the, the whole thing is, what I don't get about the whole debacle that came around and all the different people like even when the CEOs of, of, of WhatsApp came out giving out about it um, like who are being fined by the DPC for their abuse of data these people mm. giving out about it I don't get it I don't get why everybody is up in arms is it just like point the finger at somebody good because you get clickbait headlines and saying oh look they're going to invade all your privacy it just it made no sense to me this is something that is they're doing for the good and they possibly are doing it as well because of the fact that they are legally obliged now to do something like if you look at the fact that as i said earlier on 
all the other big companies that provide cloud storage like Google, Facebook, probably Microsoft as well, they have been doing this for over a decade because if they're providing storage, they probably need to have some sort of clause behind them saying, well, we're making sure that our storage has been not, not been used for nefarious um, purposes. So this is following on from that. This is just Apple enabling what everybody else is doing. And yeah, and, um, you know, and they're late to the game, you yeah, know, very as usual, late to because the game. they like to get things right, of course, but they, they're yeah. late to the game. So this isn't as big of a shock as everyone seems to think it is. Correct. Now, one of the things that I read that where people were highlighting and saying, oh, but what if say some government like the Chinese government or Russians mm. or something came along and said, well, seeing as you're analyzing the photos, we also want you to analyze for these political um, type images or anything that they want to find out about. OK, and they're saying that could be injected in. Well, one that can't get injected into the CSAM database because that's controlled by NICMEC. And they've been around a long time, very trustworthy. So that can't happen. Um, it can't get live injected into it. Um, so the there's, I don't know if if these companies wanted to do that sort of scanning of analysis of photos, they'd be doing it already. They'd be doing it behind our backs already. They possibly are. We don't know. Right. Right. So just because they're enabling CSAM scanning doesn't mean, oh, now that they're doing that, they can add in all this other stuff into it. If they want to be spying on us for the Chinese government, it'd be there already. And they just wouldn't tell us. It's not Absolutely as though. true. Yeah. It's not as though that enabling CSAM scanning is like this magic key that only by enabling that you can tag on other stuff. It could be there already. It could be inside in Android. It could be inside in iOS. It could be inside in Windows. We don't know. We don't. We don't. Yeah. So the whole idea of saying as all oh, by enabling this, it could lead to other things and it's a dangerous route to go down. Well, yeah, I mean, look, in certain circumstances, setting a precedent can lead to other dangerous things. Like, you know, for example, um, with China, like, you know, um, they've set the precedent now where they have this like social credit system where yeah. you basically, uh, you know, if you, you earn points for being good and 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 mm. demerits for being bad, yeah. according to what the government think is how you should behave. Correct. That sets a bad precedent, obviously. That's that's a, that's completely different, though. Yeah, it is completely different. But mm. the, the point I'm trying to make is that it the, doing this. CSAM scanning of iCloud photos has could it, it's not that it, it is the only way to lead to all this other stuff all this other stuff could be there already or they could put it in in the future anyway regardless of this and just not tell anyone yes in so, other words it's not related in yeah. any way yeah if they wanted to they could forget about doing the scanning on device and hashing on device and they could just scan all your photos and report on whatever they want anyway, especially mm. in the iCloud stuff, because they can do that on the server. So mm -hmm. it's uh, it's it's a false argument. Anybody who says, oh, it could lead to this. No, they could just put it in whenever they want. They yeah, could do that. Exactly that. Yeah, yeah they could just say, oh, forget about the CSAM. 
which lastly before we go Dave they mm. have already just said uh, just yesterday the uh, Apple have backed down on the CSAM features and postponed their launch so yeah yeah I can see that actually yeah after a privacy backlash yeah so the critics mm. won and this protection of children from predators is being delayed because the critics have won they've stopped this from happening and yeah. I, I actually, to me, it's a sad state of affairs to me. This is You wouldn't call them critics. You call them conspiracy theorists. Yeah. It's a sad state of affairs that this, which I consider was a good intentioned feature to help, is being delayed because of all the stuff that's going on. I don't know. It's It, it will roll out. They'll, they, it will happen. Oh, it will happen. Um, they're just going to have, have to find a different way to... I, I, I guess I hate to say it like this, but they're going to have to find a different way to market it. Yeah, 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 they are. For lack of a, for lack of a better term here. Yeah. And I, I think it's probably well thought out how they did it, but they just have to go and do it in a totally different way. Okay, Dave, uh, we'll leave it there and we'll be back in again in a couple of weeks' time. Uh, September is usually great because there's loads of events and tech coming out and everything, so I'm sure there'll be loads of gadgets that we can spend our money on. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for joining us here on the Pooh Bar on Limerick City Community Radio 99.9 FM across Limerick City and County with thanks to our friends from Wired FM. Bar is sponsored by the Limerick Post newspaper and the music is kindly supplied by Dylan Flynn and the Dead Poets and you can find their great music on Spotify or on Apple Music. We'll be back again in two weeks time. Bye bye.